Hi, and a very happy new year from me, Jenny Brown, and the Parent Hope Project team. We're taking a break from recording new podcasts at the start of this year, but thought it was a great opportunity to repeat a couple of our earlier episodes for your parent reflection space. The new year theme is parents promoting responsible, age-appropriate independence and avoiding futile power struggles. And these themes are relevant, aren't they, whatever the age of your child. So today's episode, it's from 2022. In fact, it was our first episode, Toddlers in Meltdown, the very first push for independence. So let the parent reflection space begin for 2024 and we'll see you with brand new content from March. Hello, and welcome to the Parent Project Podcast. My name is Dr. Jenny Brown, and you are invited to join me on a journey through various topics and reflections about the all-important parent-child relationship from the early years all the way through to young adulthood. My aim is to assist parents to recover their confidence in their role, so tricky in these anxious times. I will be inviting parents to consider redirecting your energy away from monitoring or worrying about your child and towards yourself and the way you manage yourself with your child. Join me in considering the positive outcomes for children when the parent is the project. This is the first in the series, Parenting Through Stages of Development. And today on the podcast, we'll be discussing toddlers, the two-year-old, the 18-month-old moving into their second year, and looking at this interesting phase of a real push for independence that often has the side effect of some pretty full-on tantrums. What I do want to emphasize in every one of these podcasts is that each phase of a child's development presents parents with opportunities to step back and consider their part in interactions, in effect to consider the parent developmental stage. And this idea of stepping back enables parents to see what's helping in the way they're responding and what isn't helping, what's helping to promote gradual independence and self-regulation rather than unintentionally just getting caught up in the child's emotional state and fueling reactivity or dependence. And this is not just for toddlers, this is all the way through to the young adult years. I'm not going to focus too much on details about the child's developmental stage. I will a little bit, I'll cover a little bit of useful research and key developmental tasks of the stage just to give some context that I think is helpful for parent awareness but I know that the more information provided to parents about children's physiological psychological neurological development it can just be totally intimidating it over professionalizes parenting parents become very dependent on experts at the expense of developing their own confidence. And this podcast and the ideas from the Parent Hope Project 
are all about helping parents regain their confidence in their own capacities to be a resource by managing themselves. The problem of over-focusing on the details of children's physiological, psychological, neurological development is that parents become even more focused on monitoring their children, particularly if they're worried that the child isn't meeting a developmental milestone. And over-focusing on monitoring, looking for the presence of a problem can be a real trap for parents and children. Parents just lose themselves in the worry focus on children. And children feel the intensity of being monitored and it can just crowd their developmental breathing space. So let's start with a real life parent-child interaction. See if you can identify with this one. I'm gonna do that in each of these series. It's just describe the back and forth between parent and child to reveal the, the useful lessons that are there for parents. So we have a two-year-old little girl with her mum and dad. She's their first child. They're off to the park. She wants the swing. It's her favourite. All the way driving there in the car, the parents have promised we're going to have a swing first. But disaster strikes. When they arrive, there is another child on the only swing and their little girl starts crying. I want the swing, me swing. The mother responds anxiously saying, it's silly to cry. Come on, let's go on something else. Let's go on the slide or the seesaw or the bouncy horse. The child increases her crying, no swing. The father moves in, what's this fuss about? With a stern voice, the child escalates, the volume goes up. The father at this point, um, reactively, anxiously, as so many parents do, he moves into the bribery phase. If you can just stop crying and learn to wait your turn, I will buy you an ice cream. And at this point, the child continues to cry and stomp. The mother and the father are both feeling frustrated. The mother takes the child by the hand and says, come on, come with me to the slide. This is silly. And a full tantrum erupts. And of course, it's more challenging, isn't it, in a public place. The mother picks up the toddler to take her to the car. The father rushes over to the ice cream truck to get an ice cream, hoping it will just distract, calm everything down, brings the ice cream over. The child is beyond any emotion control at this point. She picks the, up the ice cream from her dad and throws it, drops it on the ground. At this point, the father shouts at his little girl and the mother soothes her, picks her up, rubs her back, it's okay, tells the father that's not helpful, come on, let's go home. The child whimpers, starting to calm down as the mother cuddles and strokes her back, and off they go home. The father is feeling incredibly guilty. Both parents are frustrated and confused. They're annoyed and they're especially annoyed with each other. This is an all too common interaction, but there are some good things to learn from it. The questions to ask for parents are, 
looking at my part in the interaction, not the other parents, not the child's, even though everyone's contributing, it's asking my part in this pattern, in this cycle, what did I do that was helpful? What did I do that clearly wasn't helpful? It's the key starting point question. And then to ask, is the way I interacted helping my toddler begin to learn how to manage their strong emotions, begin to learn to tolerate not getting what they want straight away. That's part of my job description as a parent, just to let them experience that in life. Or is the way I interacted just looking for quick gratification, quick fixes to this escalation? And these are the kind of questions that parents can ask. What I'm suggesting is useful for parents at every stage of their child's life is asking, is the way I'm responding trying to change something outside of my control or am I staying within my own control parameters and working on what's within my realm of choice to do? So I'm going to turn now, before I give an alternative interaction, I'm going to turn now to some key points about what's going on for toddlers at this developmental stage. And the big thing is that children's brains are on a huge spurt around two years of age. And at the start of these periods, the number of brain connections between the brain cells, so synapses and neurons, if you want the tech language, but we don't need the complicated language, just the connections, the learning connections, they double at this stage. And this makes for huge opportunities for fast-track learning, which is why it's such a fascinating stage to observe in a child. And with that comes a really strong push for independent learning and independent doing for self often expressed as highly demanding. There are aspects of this independent learning that a parent can really reflect on. How can I encourage that? How can I give my child the opportunity to experience doing things for themselves? But how can I ensure that I don't fall into contributing to a child getting what they want too often? And right from the early stages of parenting, learning to tolerate a child's upset and not trying to correct it with too much negative intensity or rescue or bribe with too much positive suggesting, that's moving into trying to change the child rather than the parent changing themselves. Parents are a resource in providing calm leadership at every stage and not fueling emotional escalations. They will happen. Parenting and family life can be messy. They will happen, but parents can focus on what's their little bit they can do to not contribute to the fueling, adding fuel to the fire of an escalation or a tantrum. Just briefly, a little bit of research that I think is useful. Have you heard about the Stanford Marshmallow Experiment, the famous preschool delayed gratification experiment? 40 years ago, 1972, 
Um, Walter Michelle, a psychologist, led a research team looking at preschoolers and delaying a treat with the idea that if they could delay getting their marshmallow or their other preferred treat, then when the adult returned, they could get a second one. There's a lot of interesting revelations that came out of this research about how young children learn to delay gratification using avoidance, suppressing their desire for the expected treat, how valuable distraction tasks were. So that's all pretty interesting for parents to be aware of. You probably know that just from observing your own child at this stage. But I do want to point to a a paper published in Science in 2020 that did a a scoping review, meaning looking at all the research at infants to preschoolers and delayed gratification and what what do the results show. Particularly, can children, young children, infants and two-year-olds, can, are they capable of self-regulation to delay getting what they want? Clearly, they've got a lot of learning to do in that space. But this research by Luo, Luo and Patanakul, hope I've pronounced that correctly. I'll post it on the bio. Um, what they saw was that infants, even before their second birthday, have the capacity to expect others to wait and not eat an available marshmallow if they're given a promise of a second one. Even though their cognitive and verbal development has quite a way to go, infants are capable of this kind of self-regulation. And how do they do it? Well, the researchers speculate, and I'll just quote them here, that infants' own experiences can contribute to this understanding in their trust in others' words. In the first two years of life, they write, infants become increasingly adept at self-regulation, that is, to regulate and monitor their own behaviours and emotions in accord with external requirements or demands. For example, to comply with caregivers' requests and eventually internalize these requests. So the parents' requests and the parents actioning their requests with what's in their control can be a real gift to children learning delayed gratification, self-regulation. I do want to just underline that self-regulation does not require well-developed cognitive capacity, which is does the rounds of the parenting websites and social media, but self-regulation, which is well beyond a cognitive intellectual capacity, it does start in infancy through the inbuilt capacity of a child being able to avert their gaze, look away. Okay, so let's get back to real-life interaction. Here's interaction number two with a scenario of a little two-year-old girl who wants a swing. Just have a listen to the alternative. The little girl expecting the swing. There's another child on the swing. I want the swing. She starts whinging. I want swing. The mother says, 
oh, I can see another child is on it. Whose turn will it be next? The two-year-old responds, I want swing. And the mother then says, well, I'm going to ask if it can be your turn next. Would you like to help me ask? The child is a bit whingy, but walks over with the mother as the mother asks the child on the swing, can it be Sheila's, we'll give her a name, Sheila, can it be Sheila's turn next on the swing? And the little boy on the swing says, yes. And the mother says, it's okay for you to stay there for a while. I'm, I'm okay waiting. Are you okay waiting, Sheila? And Sheila kind of nods her head. The, she's still a bit whingy, a bit weepy. The mother says to her little girl, it's hard to wait turns. I find it hard to wait turns. But I'm going to go and sit on the seesaw while waiting. What will you do with your waiting time? The child stays at the swing, doesn't go with the mother. And the mother's sitting on the seesaw, waiting for a little bit. She does say, gosh, um, Bunny's here with me. We brought Bunny in our bag. Maybe Bunny can play on something while you're waiting. Bunny is waiting just like you're waiting. And the child is interested, thinks it, smiles at the, the thought of Bunny playing on the seesaw with mum. And the mother then just does her own thing on the seesaw. The father comes over. He's been chatting to someone else at the park. He comes over, sees his little girl looking very whingy. He says, what's wrong, Sheila? And the child has a little cry with the father attending to her being sad. The mother turns to the dad, her parenting partner, and says, it's not easy waiting turns. Sheila's learning that it's not easy waiting turns. She talks to the bunny. What do you think, bunny? Is it easy waiting turns? And then notices that the little boy's gotten off the swing. The mum says, it's your turn now. And the dad moves to push the little girl on the swing. The child is settled. And the mum says, I'd really like an ice cream before we go home today. And while dad and Sheila are on the swing, mum walks across and gets an ice cream, asks if anyone else would like one. There's a definite yes. And there's scenario number two. Now, what I do want to say in comparing those scenarios is that scenario number one doesn't happen out of the blue. There's been some buildup of patterns and stress in the family that go into these kind of interactions. And it's not possible for a quick fix to turn around and have a child respond as we saw in interaction number two. There's no quick fix when patterns start to be set up, but gradual adjustments are really valuable. And just note in the interaction number two that the mother is able to stay calm. 
is not moving into trying to push the child, change the child, fix the child. She's a resource to the child in providing opportunities for for learning, opportunities for distraction. It is up to the child whether she takes that on or not. So pulling it all together for today's podcast. Here is the key message. When a parent can redirect their energy away from reacting to or trying to change their child or change their parenting partner and instead focusing on how they manage themselves with their child, confidence can return because you can just learn that you can contribute to an environment that facilitates your child's capacity to develop their growing independence and responsibility and well-being. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Parent Project Podcast. If you would like to access many more parenting resources or to consider signing up to a parent seminar, go to parentproject.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and share it with those who you think might benefit from these topics.